0: mm mm-hmm. welcome back to casting that's podcast i am one of the pastors here we have three pastors in a room so you can tell this is going to be awesome um i am joined an here, awesome train wreck uh, awesome something um <laughs> so i'm joined here as you as you can tell with uh pastor rudot who is here on always a cohort in crime we are joined also with the department head of theology as well as campus pastor of MLHS, Pastor Rick Cron- Manitowoc
1: Lutheran High School.
0: Manitowoc Lutheran High School. I should probably say that because in acronyms, people don't understand. Uh, Pastor Rick Cron, who has, by the way, one of the most amazing shirts on today. Um, if you remember Oregon Trail, which some of you may, if you are old enough, um, but he has a shirt that says he has died from dysentery, um, and that is that is just the theme of the show today. We've died from dysentery. Um, I don't know how else better to put it.
2: Can thank my family for that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we are uh, very appreciative that you're on the show with us today. Happy um, to be here. Awesome, awesome. Uh, give us a give us if you have to sum up your life, your ministry, your loves, your passions in one word. What would it be?
2: Cluelessness. I don't know. I I, I think he did it right there. Cluelessness. There you go. Yes. 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 20 years in ministry, uh, married, uh, five children, two still living at home. Uh, Love what I do at Lutheran High. Love being able to work with the kids. Uh, God is good. Amazing. Uh, we're going
0: to talk more about his ministry. Talk more about some of the things that he has done. But before we do that, uh, we have an opportunity to to just give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, we are literally three pastors um, who are just downloading thoughts in our heads that are floating around. Um, we are members of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, but not everything we share might be in line with exactly the the um, what is official. Uh, I would like to have this out here for for the wells uh, or for our calling church bodies, Uh, but we will uphold the cross of Christ. We will do our very, very best to share with you how we live under that cross and and in the blood of Christ. And uh, if you don't like what we have to say, it's okay. Turn us off. Join in for the next show. Um, If you have a question, a comment, or would like to give us encouragement, um, you can find us at our congregations or you can— Uh, get us on email at castingnetspod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you um, ask questions discuss um, and if you'd like to get a hold of rick you can just pop on in over at the high school uh, in manitowoc and i'm sure he'll love to take uh, five minutes and and say yep i didn't mean anything that i said on that show i'm very nice person and i'm still here i did not die of dysentery not yet Uh, (laughs) not yet so so uh Without further ado, let us wrap ourselves into, into the show, and uh, um, we'll see where we go from here.
1: In the history of the Lutheran Church, nor even the Christian Church, has there ever been anything like a standard, commonly accepted definition for confirmation. Neither what it is, nor what it claims, aims to accomplish. This is a quote from Pastor Rick Cron from his paper. It's not so recent anymore, nine years ago. But it's a paper that is very thought-provoking, and it's a good paper for um, you to read. You can find it on our uh, Wells Seminary website. Look on WLS. Uh, dot dot net and look for essays and you can find it. The paper is entitled Confirmation Form in Search of Function and that really is our title for our podcast for today as we're talking more about confirmation. We had a, a podcast, uh, our previous podcast was Confirmation Strikes Back with Mr. Brandon Steenbeck, and he talked about how St. Mark's up in Green Bay is trying to integrate families more into the confirmation instruction than just the pastors. So, uh, Rick, can you uh, tell us more about what this means, form in search of function?
2: It's the idea that confirmation it's not something that's mentioned in Scripture. It's something that that we in the church constructed, which doesn't mean that it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it's existed for nearly the entire length of the New Testament church, probably going back as early as four, five, six hundred A.D. But in those fourteen to sixteen hundred years, we've never really gotten around to deciding what confirmation should be. We have this form but we've not really settled on a function so over the last 13 to 1500 years there's been a bunch of different functions that people have 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 assigned to confirmation uh, but there's no standard accepted this is what confirmation is
0: now is that because and 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 i guess you know this is the the age-old question of course is it because the form is amb- ambiguous, or is it because we we are taking this form and we are applying it to the function of whatever we perceive is in need at the time? I
2: think it's 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 a big part of that. It's also because it's not something that we're commanded in Scripture. It's not something where God gives us any real guidance on. Uh, so. Again, we've chosen to do confirmation, and because it's been around so long, and because we are, as conservative Lutherans, are are pretty traditionalist, we don't like just chucking things out the window that we've been doing for a long time, even if this is one of those things that we're not really sure why we're doing. And I think that freedom that we have, uh, God hasn't told us we have to do this, but we've been doing it for a long time, so we probably should keep doing it, we think, even if we're not really sure why we're doing or what we're doing.
1: So just to clarify, scripture does talk about teaching our youth, but not necessarily teaching our youth from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and the the the, the form of what we have, where it's a a, a public. Uh, Instruction, pastors doing the instructing and that sort of thing, the rites behind it and things like that, right? Many
2: of the things that we have come to associate with confirmation are commanded to us by Scripture. Uh, instructing those who have been baptized, giving those who are preparing to commune proper instruction before they do that, growth in faith, instruction in the Word, all of these are very good things, and not only good things but are, but are, are given to us by Scripture to do. Doing all of that, as you said, two to three years, sitting with the pastor at the ages of 12 to 14, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, leading up to uh, some grand ceremony after which you are admitted to the Lord's Supper, yeah, that's all, that's all something that we've constructed.
0: Well, and, and then you touched on it in your paper in, the, in, in, in kind of one of the appendix... Uh, of your paper, um, the the appendix B, but we also touched about it, uh, touched on it a little bit on our last podcast when we talked about uh, confirmation striking back. <clears throat> the the idea of of confirmation becoming the 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 gate upon which one is able to come forward for communion seems to be a um, a, a point in contention. Um, you, and you make a really valid point in, in like I said, the appendix of your paper, as well as one of the points that we, we kind of questioned on the last when we were talking about um, searching for this new way of doing catechesis. By coming forward to the Lord's Supper, you are making a confession of the faith that you believe. The, you're making the confession of of... Um, this isn't just the vertical me and God. This is the fellowship I share with other believers who believe the same thing. So, do I really know what I believe? Um, so, so I mean, the the need of catechesis before coming forward to to communion kind of almost is implied with that fellowship, right? Uh, that you're you're receiving kind of you're they can't see the movement of the hand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I try not to interrupt. It's a bad habit I have. You are you are 100% correct but we do the same thing when we worship together. We do the same thing when we pray together. We are when we join together in the divine service, when we join together in prayer, we are confessing a faith. We are confessing a unity of faith. And what I think has happened over the years and this is something that's mentioned in that appendix is um which I didn't entirely write. That came from a uh, task force
1: that, that... Confirmation Ministry Task Force. Yeah,
2: several, several. Longer ago than any of us <laughs> care to remember. Go ahead. Um, but when we, when we pray with our children, we are expressing fellowship with them. When we join together as the, as the body of Christ in worship, we are expressing a unity of faith and fellowship We have no problem doing that with our fifth graders of our congregation. We have no problem doing that with our five-year-old children. Yet for some reason, we have set up this higher bar when it comes to celebrating the Lord's Supper as though you need to be able to confess all six chief parts of the catechism before you can receive the Lord's Supper. That that's not something that scripture gives to us.
0: Well, and and I think in in playing devil's advocate just to, just for a little bit and by all means I'll I'll just give you the okay if you ever feel you need to interrupt me, just do so. Okay. Uh, that doesn't offend me at <laughs> well, all. Well, then in that case cuz I probably right. cuz I probably will do the same to you. Um, <laughs> but but playing devil's advocate here, you know, so okay, the concept that you you are that you are talking about is the unity of fellowship, and, and it's a it is it is um, opposed to or or anti not opposed. It, it just set up to the juxtaposition of what the the Missouri Synod had, which is called and has, which is called the levels of fellowship, where that we can join in certain levels of fellowship, and that each level is more in depth and more in depth, and then you finally get to the full understanding. We would say mm, no. There's there's a unity that is shared in in what we do, but in 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 one respect i would say that that is a misnomer not incorrect but a misnomer when someone comes into worship yes they come into worship and we are going to say you know we're making the assumption you understand something or when we ask to have a corporate prayer we're saying you know we're making this assumption
1: or but, when we say the creed or
0: when we say the creed we're making this assumption now those are all true and and we're making the assumption of unity because you have you have come to worship with us. None of those carry, uh, there's a, a, a harm that, that'll happen to you if you don't understand what's going on, like the Lord's Supper does. Whereas the, the, the Lord's Supper is is very much contains, this is for your benefit, but it also is for your ill.
2: But that has nothing to do with fellowship.
0: No, but it has everything to do with understanding.
2: Yes, it does. So then what we need to do is we need to study what Scripture tells us. The Lord's Supper is not like baptism in that baptism, you come with nothing. Baptism, you cannot be prepared for.
0: Right. God prepares you. Exactly.
2: By giving you you everything you need right there in the sacrament. The Lord's Supper... He, he asks us to come prepared. But what, what is that preparation? Scriptural preparation for the Lord's Supper, I would contend that bar is significantly lower than what we have historically made it. Scripture says you need to be able to recognize the body and blood of Christ. So, okay, there is some instruction. So that's that second goes, article. Uh, yes. You need to be, you need to, to be able to, to, to recognize you. You need to be able to examine yourself.
0: Okay, so that would be commandment.
2: You don't need to be able to, I would contend you don't need to be able to recite all 10 commandments in no, order but to be able to examine yourself.
0: Well, and we and if we do a, if we do uh, adult instruction, we don't ask them to memorize it, but that doesn't mean we don't teach the commandments. Correct. So so but that's still that's still okay, so that's that's part one of, of catechism, commandments. That's article 2. Of the Apostles' Creed. But so. what you've done and what
2: you're doing is you're taking what is quite simple, law and gospel. Sure. And you're expanding it to, we need to spend three months studying the Ten Commandments.
0: Well, I don't spend three months studying the commandments with my adult instruction either. Do you with your children? Probably. Probably. Well, and, I mean, that's, that's because I, that's into, that's because I was told to. I have to get him a grade now for three years. Now of we're education. sliding into
2: another issue, which is what which is the vast difference between what we do for our adult confirmands right. and our youth confirmands. Uh But that's a, that's a separate issue. My contention is simply what Scripture gives us that you need to receive the Lord's Supper. And now, maybe this is a little bit controversial. Um, what scripture tells us you need in order to receive the lord's supper my when they were this age my children could have done that in 3rd grade they recognized that they were sinners they recognized that christ is their savior they confessed faith in christ as their savior they recognized that they were receiving bread and wine together with the body and blood of Christ in a very real way, but in a way that we can't understand. That's really all you need to receive the Lord's Supper.
0: Well, and this is this comes back to the conversation that we had um, in 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 the last episode dealing with with confirmation. Is is you know catechesis is this lifelong this lifelong walk and 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 and. From what I'm hearing from you, which is very good because I agree, if this is what I'm actually hearing, <laughs> it's not a lack of catechesis. It's the idea of of this this funk or this uh, class, for a better sense of. Okay, we're going to do three years of confirmation. Um, whoa, 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 whoa! You know, this is this what what really is preparing us for fellowship in the church, membership in the church, and engaging with the church is the church doing a lifelong goal of. Catechesis. Um, going back into you know the the, the Reformation. You know, um, Luther thought it very important that that the church focused on the catechism in every sermon, focused on um, the the sacraments in every sermon. You know, if you're offering and 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 I usually get chastised by the brothers. <clears throat> <laughs> Brother, when, <laughs> sounds like you no. might be talking. Present. <laughs> Pastor Hefner does this too. We're in the middle of a text study, and we're doing the text study for preparing for the sermon. We we try to do this together to help our our Greek skills and. And all of a sudden, they, you know, I'll bring up the sacraments. There's Pastor Harley rushing to the sacraments.
1: I, but... That's a direct quote from me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but isn't this part of it that that the the life of the church would be a daily catechesis, so that people are prepared to join in these fellowship things, so that they can receive the gifts and and. And I think we do a disservice to our congregations when we when we try to say, Well, it's far more simple than that. You can't get any simpler than the small catechism. That 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 is this I mean I'm not saying Luther is the end all to be all, but I mean he loved kids and he made it as simple as possible.
2: But again, now I'm going to say what is the what is the small catechism? Because if you're just talking about Luther's small catechism, you're talking Enchiridion. right? You're talking not necessarily even the what does this means? Oh, I of agree. All of those things, absolutely. That's something. You do not need the, the mental or spiritual maturity of even a 14-year-old to handle the Enchiridion. That could be taught to a kindergartner. And it should. I sim- agreed. Amen. The simple Enkarian could be taught to a kindergartner. Yes, that's not what we do in our sixth, seventh, and eighth grade confirmation class. No, we do not do just the simple Enkarian. We do something significantly more adult, significantly more spiritually mature.
0: And, and I would agree with you. And I and and I. And this is, I think, maybe where the, the point of the question comes in is, is we're looking—we we have a form and we're looking for what is its function. Um, I am—I am, I, am I, I think we're both in agreement that the Incritian should be taught as soon as they are able to start comprehending language. Um, let's talk about the Ten Commandments because that shows us our sin and, yep. it, and our need yep. for a Savior and how bad we are. And, and then also gives back to us—because of the waters of baptism dear child, there's going to be times where you do this right. I mean i perfectly, but but because of that new life in Christ, you get to do this. Um and yes, let's talk about the the Apostles' Creed. We say that in church every Sunday. Yes, let's say it together. Um the the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I don't know how to pray. We pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, those are good things.
1: And Saying the keys I'm, of forgiving one another.
0: And in simple ways. I'm sorry. And followed you're, with You're, you're forgiven. forgiven. Yes. yes. You know, and and, and but those are I am I'm, I'm a firm believer in the Incridian should be taught in its very basic forms to our children because that's the li- that that's part of leads us into the lifeblood of
2: the church and and the fellowship that we have. And and I would not be surprised if this was something that you spoke about with I haven't been able to listen to the the your conversation with uh Brandon Steerback um, but I would not be surprised if it if this came up in that conversation, how fantastic would it be for you as parish pastors when before your confirmation class started in sixth or seventh grade, your all of your students already had memorized the Enchiridion. Maybe not the what does this mean, but they could recite the three articles of the Apostles' Creed. They could recite all ten commandments. They could recite the Lord's Prayer. They rec- they knew what the keys and confession was because this is stuff they had been talking about at home for a long time. Now you could really get into some you could really get into some nuts and bolts of 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 the Christian faith because you're not spending time memorizing you shall have no other gods what does this mean because they've known that since they were in fourth grade because mom and dad taught it to them
0: and and there is i think there is where <clears throat> where i think you've you've kind of narrowed it down to to some of the problems that we struggle with see we have these thing this thing called confirmation right we have this thing that we've we've invented um this class section that we've invented that that um really it, it seems to me our parents send not all but many send their kids into this as this is where you're going to learn church
2: because we i believe and and there is we don't need to get into assigning blame there's plenty of blame to go around i as a parent Except for will, me. will of course i, I I'm, I'm assuming that's the case <laughs> um, i won't speak for you i'll speak for me and pastor rodot cuz um, i speak for him all the time <laughs> Yes, I as a parent did not and am not training my children the way to the, to the degree that I should. But as a full-time worker in the church, I want to point a little bit more blame to the church because we as the church have said very, very loudly, we would never actually come out and say this. And if somebody accuses us of saying this, we'll deny it. But what we say is, mom and dad, you can't do this. This is beyond you. You should just leave this to the professionals. Mom and dad, your job is to bring your children to me, and I will teach them. You can't really do this. Just leave this to the professionals. And I think what we're seeing is some of the results of that. We're seeing parents, many of whom want to do this, most of whom want to be good Christian moms and dads, but they don't know how. And they've been kind of given the impression that it's beyond them, that it's above them. And so the, their job becomes simply transportation. Drop the kids off at class, and we'll take it from there.
0: Uh, and almost to the point, and I would say even almost to the point where I'm going to avoid the topic because I'm, I don't want to <clears throat> give you a false and infor- They don't want to give their children a false information. Last that,
2: thing I want to uh, do is have my kids come into confirmation class, and the pastor has to correct something that I taught them, because. Right. so I'll just teach them nothing right and, and and i think
0: there's a we've the pendulum has swung too far to the other side um you know i i go back to and I, I wish I would have done a little bit of, not knowing that I was going to bring it up, but um, a little bit of homework, and, and I remember Luther said... That's, saying, good. That that's, that's good, good
1: that you do homework before a podcast. <laughs> I do will. sometimes,
0: um, but Luther, I know, I'd, in one area had brought Sorry, up... Sorry, that's an inside joke. <laughs> um, Luther, in, in one area, and it was near the end of his life, had 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 said that you know he talked about all the books that he would preserve out of everything that he wrote, and the catechism was one of them. And he had made mention. He says that <clears throat> that it that it should be the the form, the focus um, of every sermon of of everything that is done in the church until the people understand it. And he said, even on my deathbed, I still don't understand it.
2: <laughs> and he would speak often of uh, he never grew beyond the catechism. Right, he needed to he needed to to relearn it every day. Right, and he was speaking the the, the simple words of the Enchiridion, the, the simple words of the Small Catechism, every day. It's not something he left behind when he was when he grew beyond twelve years old.
0: Well, and and I think this is where we where where I wonder, and we've had this discussion, Dave, and 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 chime in because we were cutting you off. Just, um, but there is something to be said about returning the life of the church to those simple, bad way of saying it, but in a way, those simple teachings every Sunday.
1: I uh, was going to build on both of what you said. I remember when I was out in Montana teaching a bunch of ranchers, and I said, let's go through the Augsburg Confession. These are guys who, uh, some of them never finished high school. I said, let's go through the Augsburg Confession. And and one of the ranchers is like halfway through it, he said to me, he said, uh, this is basically what we I learned in catechism. And you go, yeah, exactly. This is basically everything goes back to what you learned in the small catechism. Even when you're trying to parse through some highfalutin language and, and the scholarly way of, of talking and how they're precise, they're trying to talk about uh, what does the scripture say and what doesn't it say, what do we believe and what don't we believe. Uh, it goes back to what they learned in their catechism.
0: Well, and I wonder, I wonder if some of this instruction and 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 Rick, you had made mention that you you let's blame the church, and I agree. I think a lot of onus does fall onto the church, uh, where where we have to own our our inadequacies, and and we could we could cast the blame and say it's because pastors. Want to 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 feel or make other people feel as if we're earning our keep and whatever the case may be, yep. um. But I think I think some of it is also just the simple fact that we 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 as people w- think we should be moving on to something else. Yes. Um. So we just got out of a conversation uh, dealing with with. Uh, uh, we've been dealing with to digitize church and things, and one of the comments in there is is you know we were talking about sermons, and they said, well, we always do a sermon series, and and I'm not a pause a sermon series, but but it's like we're always moving on to something else instead of instead of saying you know every Sunday my 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 parishioners you know because every text is going to deal with the law, and so so they're going to need maybe maybe go back to the incredian and highlight a portion of that, or or hey, guess what? Two times a month, we're going to have communion. Guess what should be in the sermon twice, you know, at least in that month, dealing with here what did we receive—the body and blood and the power of Christ given to us—in here. I'm going back to
1: some of that. Are we actually talking about the Catechism in the Lectionary? That's my question. Because I always, people always said if you do the one-year Lectionary, which I've done and I love, uh, and uh, I would, I have not yet actually gone through, but I just know. That it doesn't always cover everything in the le- in we we go back and forth we say well we're going to cover the catechism in our lectionaries and then we go back to well we want to cover the scriptures in our lectionaries are we we and we say we're we're preaching the the uh, the catechism in the pulpit but are we actually doing it so that's why I appreciate uh, a congregation that says we're going to do a series and be intentional and say we're going to make sure we get this doctrine talked about this year. And this doctrine talked about this year,
0: and, and and like I said, I'm not opposed to a series because um, I know I know that it's been in Lutheran history during the season of Lent, you take a portion of the catechism, and you you okay. So this Lent you're going to do baptism, and so you you work on baptism throughout the Lenten series. Good practice. I like that practice. Actually, it's a it's a it's a kind of a neat a neat thing. Um, but but I mean I'm not, I'm not saying moving away from because because I am a I'm a lectionary preacher I I I, I don't preach I, I could preach a series I don't preach series I like preaching the lectionary, but the onus of the church to import that into the lection not to import it but to to supply it in the lectionary to say even though I'm I'm preaching the lectionary and even though I'm preaching on such and such of a text in the, in the lectionary series, the Enchiridion falls in there somewhere.
1: Yes. Yeah, but how to what degree is my my question? Right. Are we actually we say we're teaching we're preaching the catechism but are we actually doing it? And and we think we are, but are we actually being intentional and in saying we're going to teach this about the catechism this year? Or I'm looking at series B, I know they're they're going to hit on these points of the catechism. I don't think there's no information out there that I have seen that actually looks at our catechism and intentionally inserts it into the
2: I the, think some yeah, of it, is, some of it is on us as as preachers is seeing where these things are because what you said before about growing beyond something and moving on, I mean, come on, we do the same thing. We we as preachers, when how often do we sit down with our small catechism just to read it, not to prepare for class, but just to read it for our own faith edification?
0: You're making me feel guilty. I wish you would stop. I'm sorry. I am, I absolve you.
1: In the, uh, I absolve you as well, <laughs> well, um but if that's a confession
2: there is there one thing that we as as wisconsin synod guys will like to do on occasion is throw a little bit of shade at missouri synod guys and i believe the quote that i've heard is that the missouri synod tends to see baptism in every puddle in scripture and the lord's supper in every crumb and and we say they're seeing baptism in places, old and New Testament, where it's not talking about baptism.
0: I have their commentaries. I can attest to that and, right, and
2: I, <laughs> I, I believe it is a fair criticism, right? I believe we also maybe oversell that or maybe we are too far at the end of the other end of the spectrum where where Maybe, okay, maybe this isn't talking about baptism, this little puddle here that we're finding somewhere in the old testament. It's not talking about baptism. But how can it not remind us of baptism?
0: Well, and this is and, and I'll and I can I can say this from complete honesty because I started out in, in the Missouri Synod seminary and then I moved over and, and redid seminary here. And <clears throat> so when I was originally taught to preach, I was taught in the Missouri Synod kind of focus. And, and I was chastised when I came over um, in the first sermon that I had to write for Amalytics. I was, I was chastised Here by— Here come
2: the sacraments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Go ahead. <laughs> Quite literally.
0: I was chastised because they said you—the uh, the, the chastisement from the professor, who will remain nameless because he is a wonderful professor, but, but he chastised me. He, he lifted up my sermon in front of everybody, and he said, this is exactly what you are not to do. And 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 he said he 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 took a doctrine, catech- catechetical doctrine, mm-hmm. and used the text as a pretext for it. Okay. And he said, "Don't do this." And but that I will admit, this is that that is in part of the Missouri Synod training. It is you go to you you have a verse, and and I still do it a little bit today. I'll I'll be honest with you. Um, you you get you are presented with a verse. Uh, a, a set from the lectionary, and and the first thing I do after we have our text study, and I go to the Greek or I go to the Hebrew, is I sit down with my book of Concord and I look at the back and say, "Did they say anything about this? Where does this get used to? <laughs> and then I go to that section. I'm like, "Oh, it's that doctrine," <laughs> you know. And, and I'll yep. admit that's part of my preparation because that's just sort of what was ingrained in me when I was first learning. Um, that you know, is is that a bad is that a bad thing, though? Because you can still be
2: a textual preacher. I think it's one of those, do the one but don't leave the other undone. Right. Yeah, when the doctrine comes up, when, you're ta- when, when, when your sermon text is one of the major passages for a certain doctrine of Scripture, you're probably doing your people a disservice if you don't talk about that doctrine. At the same time, if every sermon becomes a doctrinal dissertation because you're just using the sermon text as a pretext to talk about this particular doctrine, well, now you've gone, you've swung the pendulum too far to the other side.
0: Right. And I would agree with that, although you might have a really, really smart church. Possible.
1: Yes. (laughs) So, swinging back to our topic of of, uh, confirmation and catechesis. You have been teaching in the high school for uh, two years now, and uh, what skill do you feel that is most valuable for pastors to impart to children going into school? Is it more important that they would hear, be uh, ingrained in the Bible stories of the Bible, or are they more important that they have the uh, doctrines of the Bible in their repertoire?
2: I'm not sure that I would put that as, and and you're not, I don't know that I would put that as an either-or um and I'd maybe even go with a third one. At, I've just finished my second year at the high school, so I don't have a ton of experience there. Um but I as to parish pastors, I guess I would say teach your families. If the students that are coming to me as high schoolers and I'm teaching them their their theology, um, okay, we take them through the Old Testament, we take them through the New Testament. What they've learned of that, that is fantastic. And if, they, if they've if they learned it already before and they're reviewing it with me or learning it at a newer level with me, okay, that's great. But I can't give them a solid spiritual relationship with mom and dad. That's what I think so many of our kids are missing today Is uh, is... Mom and dad need to be the first spiritual teachers of a child. Long before we as pastors get to them, long before I as as theology department at Lutheran High get to them, mom and dad need to be teaching them the scriptures. And what can we as the church do to help that? What can we as the church do to encourage that, to support that, give them resources, give them encouragement, give them help? Uh, mom and dad... This is your job. Yes, it's our job in the church too. I'm I'm not a big fan of the whole who who is the primary spiritual. Forget about who's primary. It's a job for mom and dad, and it's a job for the church. How do we do this together? How do we each stay in our role and encourage and help and support each other?
1: So, what are some of your ideas of practical implications of how to equip families to be a stronger spiritual group?
2: Something that I've done at a couple of my congregations with varying degrees of popularity um, is I turn over the catechesis largely to parents. And what I've done in a few places is I've said... Here is everything you need to teach this unit on the second article of the Apostles' Creed, on the second person of the Trinity. There is a workbook here. Here is a teacher's guide. Here's some resources that you can read. Here is everything you need to teach this to your child. Teach your child. If you need help, let me know. I'll answer any questions. When you're done with that unit, now we will sit down mom dad student and i as pastor we'll sit down we'll look through it if there's any questions that you had anything that you weren't sure where i was going we'll talk about it then fill in any blanks and when we're all satisfied that we've finished this unit i'll give you the packet for the next unit and to me that is just a much it's a a much better model of mom and dad this is your job I, as a representative of the church, am going to do whatever I can to help you. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to give you all the resources you need. I've got a lot of training and education, but you don't need a master's degree in theology to teach your 13-year-old the second article of the Apostles' Creed. You can do this. I will give you all the help you need. The one thing I won't do is do it for you. So so
0: I guess looking at that, then, then I mean, you're keeping the form of a cate- of the catechesis, but but you're changing it up and slightly so you don't have like a profession in that model that you shared you don't have like an actual class like a meeting class no <clears throat> okay so in 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 daves church that would work i could see that working now import that into speaking a school setting speaking for me setting. again speaking for you but it could work <laughs> right because Go ahead. I'm sorry. i mean you have public school i mean you have you don't have a school setting where you have to now work into that.
2: And what I've, what I've done there is, uh, because I had the place that I did this, I had that same issue. We had a school, and the, the confirmation class was the only release time that the principal got. So I wasn't going to take that away from him and say, I'm not going to take these two and a half hours every week. So what I did is I still taught much of the same material. We repackaged it, and it became simply a class on Christian doc- basic Christian doctrine. We didn't call it catechism. We didn't call it confirmation. It was basic Christian doctrine. And in order for you to get confirmed, you had to do these four separate units that we didn't cover in the basic Christian doctrine stuff, You do these four units and you do them at home and you do them with mom and dad and that's the same model as what we did with my public school students which is we didn't have a class that was all in homes with mom and dad. So to me, that was a, a little bit of a balance, and I don't think it's ideal, at least for me. My personal opinion, I would love to get that out of the 7th and 8th grade classroom, but again, for many of our schools, that, the 7th and 8th grade teacher is also the principal, and that's the only time that he gets to actually be principal because he's not teaching, and so in the whole grand scheme of balancing everything out, that's often how it has to happen, I think.
1: How did you find uh, getting the parents to stay on track with a unit or did you have kids being confirmed at different ages, different times during the school year? Or you're,
2: you're getting into something else. When we talk about confirmation, and I think I referenced this in the paper, we can talk about it in a couple of different ways. There is confirmation, the process, the class, the, everything leading up to it. And then there is confirmation, the day, the event, I am of a personal opinion. This is where good Welsers get the, the, the torches and pitchforks out for me. Um, confirmation day. Yeah, that needs to go away. We, one of the things I make reference of in the paper, and I, I kids especially like when I talk about this when I started high school, I was four foot 10, and I weighed 85 pounds. I stand before you today as a man of extremely average height, and I've maybe even shot beyond the average in weight. I matured physically significantly later than the rest of my cohorts in grade school and high school. We understand that. That's no big deal. That happens all the time. Kids mature physically at different rates. They mature emotionally at different rates. They mature mentally at different rates. rates yet we act as though kids mature spiritually at exactly the same rate. No child is ever ready to receive the Lord's Supper before the spring of his eighth grade year, and no child would ever benefit from maybe waiting beyond the end of his eighth grade year. That makes no sense to me. That's where now this form that we have has, in my opinion, hindered our function. I, if, if we were starting from scratch, catechesis, we had no history, we had no, we need to give a nod to this and make sure that we're not saying bad about those that went before us. If we were starting from scratch, my opinion, it would all be done in the home and it would be done completely self-paced. We would be giving parents information. We would be meeting with parents When they became parents, when their children were infants, when we met with them about baptizing their children. Okay, your child is now baptized. Now what? Well... Here are some things you can do. Here are some simple prayers that you can say with your children. Here are some simple blessings that you can that you can give to your children. Some of those, uh, a few years back we did a, a, a stepping stones thing. Um, Child and Family Service did a stepping stones thing. I think those still exist, but I'm not sure how much they took off. Um, but that was the idea. Roll. Yeah. Y- yeah, but it was a little bit bigger than that. It was something. Here's what you can do for your with your six month old, and now they're two years old, and here's what you can do, and now they're four years old, and here's what you can do. We should be encouraging parents all along the line, and once they get to be where they are able to speak, where they are able to communicate where they are able to think about these things, now we should be going to parents and saying, okay, when you think your kid is ready to have some of these catechism conversations, let me know. And maybe that happens when they're seven years old, and maybe that doesn't happen until they're 12 years old or 14 years old, and that's fine. And then when mom and dad and student are ready, you give them the packet for unit one. And all right, this is what you're going to teach your student. And if you want to do this in a week, if you want to stretch this over six months, that's on you guys and you can figure out how you do it. When you're done with this unit, you let me know and then I'll come over and we'll talk about it and we'll make sure this is good and then I'll give you the next unit. And, and at somewhere in there, we say, okay, now you've learned Enough of who Christ is, the person, work, and office of Jesus, your Savior and you've talked about the Lord's Supper, you've talked about the confession of your sins and the forgiveness of your sins, and you've talked about the real presence of the body and blood of Christ, there's still a whole lot we need to talk about. There's still, there's still we, we didn't get into all Ten Commandments and we haven't covered, the, we haven't even finished the third article and we haven't gotten into the Lord's Prayer. That's all still to come. But you know enough to commune would you like to begin receiving communion and mom and dad says but my kid is only 9 years old but they can recognize the body and blood of Christ they can confess faith in Christ they know who Jesus is they can examine themselves confess their sins they meet the spiritual requirements as much as i hate talking in law terms about a gospel function but they can meet the they meet the scriptural requirements for the lord's supper how about as we continue to catechize them with what we still have left to talk about, how about we do that in conjunction with the power of the sacrament? Rather than using the sacrament as some carrot at the end of this that we're using to say, someday you may, when you finish all of this, this is the the glorious event that you will have waiting for you. No, we, we, we couple the word and sacrament together. And what kind of growth in faith might we see if we... Are using the sacrament as we are continuing the catechesis.
0: So that brings up, I guess, two two questions in my mind. <clears throat> the first is that that the catechesis training could possibly be less than what it is now. So in some churches, it's two years. Some churches, it's, I think, it
2: could also be more than what it is now.
0: Right. It could be either way. So I mean, you right now we we do like I said, uh, some do two, some do three, um, but it could be it could be that you know a parent could say well we think they're ready they ran through it we did it in six months and they're done um which i'm not necessarily opposed to because we kind of do that with our adult bible study our adult bible information where we say okay 10 to 18 weeks and and there's no memorization um so I mean there's you know there there i think there's there's some thoughts that come to my head is is i mean you're really, you know, it's it's it is this really a overhaul of what the form currently is or that I should say the standard is. That that really what we're discussing is is less function as in what is the purpose of, but more of a complete overhaul of the form because the function what we're saying is instruction. The function is instruction. And and so we're saying we've got to 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 facilitate the function of instruction. We have to overhaul the form.
2: And I would and that's that would be my main contention is. We have this form that largely grew, uh, to say it grew out of Roman Catholicism, it was starting even before there was a Roman Catholicism, Um, but then it's been filtered through Roman Catholicism and Pietism and Rationalism, and we've got this thing where we have this big, huge, dedicated church service in the spring of 14-year-olds' lives where we put a white gown on them and put a flower on them, and we take kids that have been in church twice in the last nine months and we pat him on the back and say, good job. Way to go. You are now, you've made your vows and you've made your, I believe all of that is counterproductive.
0: So, so in other words, you're saying that, that even though, you know, you might have, um, these parents that say, I would like to lead my children through, I mean,
2: would you say I'm not going to let them if they haven't been in church? I would say that's no, I wouldn't say at the start of the process but when, when, you, when we got to that point and parents and students say, I think I'm ready to begin receiving the Lord's Supper. Now I have a natural opportunity as pastor to say, everything we've talked about here, uh, what I see you talked about with, with, at home and what we've talked about as we've reviewed it here, yeah, I'd agree with you. I've just got one concern. I've only seen you in church once in the last four months. You say that you're ready to, be, to, to begin receiving the Lord's Supper, and, and I'd love to do that, but what's going on there? A Christian, a, matured, a mature and maturing Christian wants to, I, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You clearly aren't rejoicing. You go to the house of the Lord. What's going on? Let's talk about that. And then we'll talk about receiving the Lord's Supper, about about taking that step. To me, that's a it, now it becomes a, a pre, it presents a natural opportunity to say you are confessing a maturity to your faith, but I'm not seeing that in the action in your life. Well, and then wouldn't wouldn't I mean
0: uh, devil's advocate again? Wouldn't that be also then to say parents are. Illo- so and such and such a parent is ill-equipped to teach their child catechism because they themselves haven't been gathering. So, you know, I haven't seen them since the since their child was baptized. They come to me and say, I want my child to be confirmed. Uh, well, in the paradigm that we want to form, you're responsible for that, but you're ill-equipped because you don't know. And, and
2: how do you so confront as, that? So as pastor, when I am giving them what they need to, when i'm giving them what they need in order to teach their children they have to learn it themselves first but,
0: but i mean is that is that even one of those things where you can say i can give i i can give you what you need so you can teach your child when no you, you the very thing you need you cut yourself off of i mean essentially what it's what what i'm seeing and this is and this is me maybe this is really a, a question but i'm also playing devil's advocate here uh, on the opposite side of it is Okay, you're handing into the, you're giving into the hands of parents. Some parents, I think, would be very, very equipped to do this. They come, they gather around the sacraments, they themselves are being fed, they ask questions, they, they're they part of the, the, the body of, of Christ and they live in that. And I would say, yes, let's go. We're partners in this, let's do it. There are other families that, that I, I, I mean, I can sit there and, and talk until I'm blue in the face to encourage them to come and gather around the sacrament, and they still won't. And they say, well, I want my child to be confirmed because I was confirmed. And what is,
2: what is the problem there? It is, a, it is a weakness of faith. It is a spiritual immaturity. How right. is that addressed? Only by the means of grace. Absolutely. So we're using this form that we've been given of confirmation. You want your kid confirmed. Even though we're, we're not really sure why, but you want your kid confirmed because you think that that's all you need to do to be a good Christian parent. So let's use that and say, okay, if what is the what is the only way to get those that family in church to grow their faith? Now the difficulty is growing their faith is coming to church. Well, but how can it, I how can I say that? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but
0: no, you're not. How, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> how can I say to them, how can I, I, mean, I understand exactly what you're saying is, okay, so, so to get them to grow in their faith is for them to be around the word and sacraments. I can't hand off, you can, but in some ways you almost can't hand off, here, instruct your child in something
2: you are a failure at. But if we're giving them everything that they need, when I, I would, in this class, I'd give the kid a workbook homegrown something that, that that we put together and then for each unit i would give i would give the parents it was probably a three to five page teacher's manual essentially is what it was and so the answer is to every blank in the workbook and how we got there so that is teaching the parents and when now they've said they've finished unit one and i come to their house and we talk about it and it becomes clear that they have no idea what this unit is about, well, okay, then that review takes a little bit longer. Then I'm essentially sitting there at their kitchen table teaching this unit again because they didn't really get it and they didn't really hand it on to their kids because they didn't get it themselves. But as part of this review, air quotes, review, it's not a whole lot of review because they didn't really get it in the first place. So now I'm just teaching them but I'm teaching them so that they can teach their children. And what will that do? Well, if we believe the word works, which it does, that will grow their faith, that will mature their faith, that will produce some fruits of faith. And now, will that in two months make them every Sunday worshipers? Probably not. But it moves them in that direction. It, to me, that is the most likely way for them to wake up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I think we ought to go to church today. Not because, well, you're getting confirmed in six weeks. And if we don't start going to church, you might not make it, but because we're growing in our faith and we recognize this is where we hear the word. And, you know, we want to hear the word and we're looking for opportunities to proclaim the gospel. And to me, this is an opportunity.
0: Well, and then that, I guess, you know, just. Thinking off the top of my head here, you know, and, and I had this question. In the last conversation we had about confirmation, if we're, this is going to sound bad. Um, if we're opening up the door for for okay to say oh, your understanding of what what we think you need to be able to do for you to receive the Lord's Supper is less than the 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 entirety of the the, the catechesis. Forgive me for for well how this is going to sound. I think I know where you're going. <laughs> What's the point of continuing? Yes.
2: <laughs> we got what we wanted, right? And this is why I would maintain that the day needs to go away. Confirmation day needs to become, and, I'm, and I make this point in the paper, um, and I don't, I'm sure this isn't original with me. This is way too good for to be something that I thought up myself. You're somebody that knows nothing about Christianity. You've, you, you know absolutely nothing. You happen to show up at one of our churches one Sunday, and there's a baptism. And you're watching as a completely uninformed observer, and at the beginning of the service, uh, family goes up to the front, and it looks like they do a little something with water, and then they all come back, and it took like six minutes, and then we went on with the rest of the service, and that's all it was. And that same uninformed, I know nothing about Christianity comes the following Sunday, and it's the Lord's Supper. And the service went on pretty much just like it did last week, except at the end everybody goes up to the front and they kind of march up and they look very serious, maybe even a little somber, and they go up and it kind of looks like they have a little bit of something to eat and drink and they come back and and it takes a few minutes at the end of the service and that's about all it is. Same uninformed service knows nothing about Christianity comes the following week and it's Confirmation Sunday. And everything about this service is about those nine eighth graders and we're having them sit up front and we've put them in special garb, we've put white robes on them and we've got flowers that match the flowers on the altar and in some places they've got like banners up on the... And everything is about these nine 14-year-olds you ask that person who knows nothing about Christianity after those three weeks, which of those three events is most important? Which, to us, who are doing it, which of those three things, baptism, the Lord's Supper, or confirmation, do we consider to be more important? We would say, well, there's baptism, the Lord's Supper, that's one and one, and then confirmation is a distant third. We would say that. Yeah, that's not what we do. right? We practice confirmation clearly is the most important thing that we've done and these other things that we do are yeah that needs to stop that needs to we need to make what do we, and we recognize this with our adults what do we do when an adult confirmand finishes the bible information course and is ready to confess their faith and join with us in fellowship We have a regular service, and at some point before or after the prayer of the church, they come forward, and we ask them a few questions, and they publicly answer them, and they publicly confess their faith, their unity of faith with us, and we shake their hand and say, thank you, welcome, and we move on with the rest of the service. Why do we do 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 that with our adults and not with our kids?
0: And and I would say that there's definitely a discrepancy between and, 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 and there's a discrepancy between um form and function uh when it comes to our adults and our children. Um and, and sometimes I think it's because, you know, we we I really don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can answer the, the why other than I know for the school aspect it's we've gotta fill time.
2: Why <laughs> the the why is and because of how we got here. Because what, back when Confirmation started, way back in the day, it was a completion of baptism. And then people realized, yeah, no, that's really, that says something about baptism that we don't want. So then what? Well, let's turn Confirmation into preparation for the Lord's Supper. Okay, we'll do that. And then came Pietism that said, well, actually, we want it to be a little bit more meaningful than that. We want it to be more powerful it really became the, the Lutheran version of your decision, of your conversion experience. And an eight-year-old isn't going to be able to handle that. So it needs to be probably 12, somewhere in that area. And pietism was quickly followed by rationalism that moved from the heart to the head and said, we need to be training these children to be able to confess all of the truths of Scripture and to be able to combat any opposition that they face. And a 12-year-old can't do that, so we want to hang on to these kids as long as we possibly can. How long can we hold on to them? How long can we hold off on this? Let's wait until the very, very end of their formal education, which at the time of rationalism was 8th grade. And school was done by Easter because after that came planting. So when was confirmation? Well, you're not going to do it on Easter, because that kind of blows up Easter. So we'll just do it the Sunday right before Easter. Many of our congregations still have confirmation on Palm Sunday. I was confirmed on Palm Sunday in my home congregation. And that's why. Because in the age of rationalism... We wanted to hang on to these kids as long as we possibly could to teach them as much as we possibly could before we let them finish. And that was the last Sunday before Easter of their eighth grade year. That's, that's how we got here. And that's where I look at that and go, yeah, that's a pretty lousy reason.
0: Well, but it seems, it seems as if that reasoning came up in, in the sense of the reality, we're going to lose them once they're done. Yes. and 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 i think that's the still thing that i'm wrestling with is is okay so either discuss it or don't discuss it or comment on in, in any of you have we gotten ourselves into this trap of of saying you know what instead of instead of looking and evaluating the family and saying they're they're they are in attendance they are bringing their children we're giving them that we're going to give those people the tools to, to instruct their children, to bring them into, into the understanding of this fellowship. Good. I haven't seen you since I've started as pastor here. He, I want my kids to be confirmed. No. It, 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 you're, you, by all accounts, are on our books, but you're not a member. Let's talk about changing that before we talk about adding another one who will not be a member.
2: And I would, I would be fully on board with that. Maybe a little bit of both and. Because again, parents come to me and say, I want my kid confirmed. And I respond like you just did. I don't even know who you are because you've not been here since I've been here. So, okay, we'll start the process. But recognize this is a problem. This this can't continue. This is something that we're going to have to know. It's not going to get fixed overnight, and that's okay, because we're not talking about laws. We're not talking about you have to come to church more than half the time before we before you will confirm you. We're not going to set up laws. But do you recognize that this is an issue? I mean, I mean, you're saying this about your kids, that you want your kids to get confirmed, you want your kids to commune, but when's the last time you communed?
0: Yeah. Because you've not been here. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Let's let's talk about that. And I to me, if we do if if we lessen the day and say and make confirmation about simply beginning to receive the Lord's Supper, then that presents us an opportunity when mom and dad comes to us as pastor and say, Here I present to you little Johnny and I think he's ready to begin talking about receiving the Lord's Supper. You can say, great, thanks for coming to me. Let's talk about this. Issue one, who are you? Because you've not really been in church. I don't really even know who you are. Don't you think that's kind of where we need to start? If we're talking about preparation for the Lord's Supper, yeah, Well, let's uh,
0: start there. And that brings up, the me- that, brings up that discussion of um, membership, right? Um, and and this idea of you know baptized member, communicant member, yeah, you, you, you can't cringing, you can't see it, but, the but a shudder <laughs> just went down my spine. <laughs> it's but, in its paper, by right? Way. It yeah. is in the paper, and that brings up the idea of membership, and and to say, okay, you know, and 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 Dave and I, we've talked about this, where where in all actuality, um, and and our other host who is taking a hiatus right now, um, we used to say that you know. Um, the, the membership role of the church is not the book of life. <laughs> um, but, but maybe we have, maybe, maybe we as pastors and as a congregation need to, to take a step back and say, you know what, your name on a book doesn't make you a member. your for lack of a better way of saying it, your butt in the pew makes you a member. Um, Wow, we have a church of 360 people. No, you don't. You have a church of 160 people because those are the people who show up.
2: And I, in the paper, I talk about communicant membership is something that, that, that just, to me, is fingernails on a chalkboard because even when we as pastors talk, we often will throw out that communicant membership as though those are like the real members. And then there's so the nine-year-olds aren't actual members of my congregation they're somewhat somehow second class members or they're not really the these are the souls that god has placed before me and that's all our membership role ought to be is these are the souls that god has called me to serve some of them i see every week some of them I haven't even met yet, but these are the 349 souls that God has called me to serve. But,
0: but, And, and, and now I'm going to play devil's advocate again because this is really fun. Um, have you really been called to serve the 349? Rick is smiling, so we're okay. <laughs> have you been called to serve the 349 because only the 160 who show up by voter called you?
1: Yes, because
2: those 349, by virtue of their membership, have said, we are part of this. Now, if they don't show up to try to do anything on behalf of the congregation, well, but they've still, by virtue of their membership, said.
0: Well, and that brings up the wider scope of, and that's why I'm, that's what I'm saying, it brings up the wider scope of membership. And maybe it's for a different conversation because it's not necessarily linked with the confirmation. But the idea of, of you know, my, my dad used to say it, okay, if you want to be a member of the gun club, there are certain things you have to do in the gun club. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a member of the gun club. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> you, you, you I,
2: I, use, I use this, and I know I stole this from somebody. Uh, I use this illustration all the time. If you're on a bowling league and, and you bowl every Sunday evening and you don't show up for three consecutive Sundays, if nobody from your bowling team calls you, what do you assume? They don't miss me. They don't care. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Okay. if And yet, when it comes to something... Far more important than bowling. How long do we let people go before we give them a simple phone call? In most congregations, it's like six months before the Ten before years. you show up on <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> and, 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 and then it's a sim, then it's a well, I mean it's almost like we're apologizing for reaching out to somebody that hasn't been in church for six months.' I'm, I've always been a strong proponent of if somebody's not in church for two or three weeks. They call need them. a phone call and not a, hey, you need to get your rear end in church because no, it's, hey, we missed you. What's it's going has been a couple of weeks. Is everything yeah. okay? I, I, have you been sick? Oh, you've been on vacation? Okay, great. Hope you had a good time. We'll, we'll see you again next week. Oh, you've been ill? Is there anything that we can do? Can our pastor come and see you? Because, I mean, it, it just presents a care as opposed to, oh, yeah, you haven't been here. And honestly, we didn't even really didn't, didn't even notice.
1: That's why I appreciate John Hines' Peter Plan that he put together on our Wells Communi- uh, Congregational Services website, which is something for our congregations to look at if you don't know aren't familiar with it. Where it does have that same tone, where you ramp up the tone as it goes on. But first of all, it's one of concern,
0: and it's very early,
1: very early, very yep. and yep. where
0: and where it's in implementing that. But uh, the, the the connection, the connection is implementing that into this wider scope of catechesis because if you're going to go through and say okay um our which i think it maybe is a good discussion to say we need to overhaul catechesis catechesis and and we got to stop these things that mean nothing and and are giving a false impression and we need to really be working on on you know let's let's bring this into the form and function of of where we needs to be not that it's not important instruction but it needs to be here um we need to be following through with the other half of of saying, okay, you know what? It's not just getting people instructed, getting their name on a book, and then forgetting about them. But this is—I haven't seen you in a while. You know, as we're working on this, I'm encouraging you to to see you more often, so that you're a part of what 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 we are doing is becomes a
2: a natural part of your life. We, you guys have may have probably heard this before. Uh, somebody from outside the wells said once that they referred to the wells as the church of the low expectations we just don't expect anything of our people and i think we show that in how long we wait before we contact them for not not coming to church uh i think it, we show that in who we commune and who we confirm uh one of the things that I want to I'm sure we're getting close to running out of time. I have no idea how long people are willing to listen to me ramble on. Um, but one of the things that I want to make sure to to get to, one of my big issues with the confirmation day is the is the finality of it. And pastors, for decades, there's jokes about how if you've got bats in your in your in your church somewhere uh, and the exterminator can't get rid of them, well, the, the, what you need to make sure to do to get rid of them, the simplest thing is you confirm them because then you'll never see them again. We, I mean, it's, such, it's so ingrained in us that we make jokes about it. We complain about we don't see people after confirmation. Well, it's no wonder. Everything about that day screams finality we talk until we're blue in the face this doesn't mean you're done this is only the beginning of your instruction not the end of your instruction this is not everything this is not the end and yet everything about the day the gowns and the flowers and the special service and the parties and the gifts and the everything about that day screams finality you're done if we actually want it to be something that is just a beginning not an ending then maybe we shouldn't do it up as though it were an
1: ending. Good point. And then maybe we should be bringing up the catechism after confirmation, instead, and having a paradigm shift in our conversations. And pastors don't talk about the catechism in terms of "Oh, you learned this back when you were in grade school," but just talk about the catechism has this wonderful truth here uh, that you learned that applies in the you know, the scripture speaks to this thing. So let's talk about like this this. Uh, Speaking of the catechism as a living breathing document for people whether they are uh, teenagers or whether they're elderly that this is something that help guides their life i remember when i was in peer and i was visiting a shut-in and she wanted to know i was I, I don't remember what the conversation was about but she said pastor can we go through the catechism together and she was like 80 years old and i said sure let's go through the catechism and Music you know,
2: to a pastor's ears. Yeah, yeah.
1: So three weeks later, I her grandchildren are coming to me and saying, "Yeah, Grandma's been talking to us about the catechism that she's been going through." So it's just the uh, just that idea of the catechism being a, a, a document that we use or a book that we use that becomes a tool for our lives, for uh,
2: our devotional lives, for at our the, devotional at the lives. family altar. Yeah, well Exactly. And, and this is part of
0: what we're trying to do. Is 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 we're a project that we are taking on this summer is sitting down to say, how are we going to start taking steps to revamp how we approach catechesis? And one of the things is, is taking the book and saying, okay, we're going to, use, that's our textbook. Our textbook isn't the worksheet, you know, that we have another binder that they No, the textbook is get into the, here's, here's the Incredian, right? The verses are there. I know, but, but it doesn't tell you the answer. So now you can write in there underline this circle that that leads you towards this so that when you are in trouble you can go to that and under and you have the passages there and you 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 can hear god's word speak to you
2: about this or that or the other thing and that becomes a part of the everyday life because it wasn't just a textbook it is also a devotional book right and and again i see resource book yeah yeah i it what i see too often with kids that have gone through confirmation class, and it's been three years, and it's been a couple days a week, and it's been drilled into their head, and it's been pounded into their brains, and when they get done with that class, they treat their Bible and their catechism the same way they treat their sophomore year history textbook. They never want to see it again. Yeah, we're, we're doing something not The best we can. But if if that's how, if that's how, if people, if kids finish our confirmation class and they throw their Bible and their catechism into a corner of their bedroom, right there along with their algebra textbook, hoping to never have to crack it open again, we're doing something wrong.
0: Well, and I think it even goes worse than that. Half of them, it's they only have one in the family and it gets passed down to, to kids and then it never goes with them to yeah. college or yeah. comes with them into their new home. And that's what we're kind of trying to alleviate is every student has to have their own yep. and, and you take your notes in there yep. and, and then you take it home and it be, and then you can discuss, you know, as we were talking and you were, you, know, you actually made mention to, I send home, you know, the kids have a workbook and then the parents have the answer shake. And we we're, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, we were struggling with how do we make that connect? Hey, let's give them a workbook, but you do it with your parents. And I'm going to give your parents the answer sheet. And when we're talking about this section, you're going to work with your mom and dad on that, on, on that, that workbook yep. section because yep. we're only going to use this. And, and then you come ahead of time and maybe assign it ahead of time. Your homework is work on this worksheet with mom and dad because we're going to come and we're going to talk about it here. Yep.
2: And we will discuss it assuming as though you talked about it. We yeah. will discuss it because you already know this, so we're going to go beyond this to something, something more. Right.
1: That's what I appreciate about the 5th and 6th grade catechism with our kids in, in grade school where they had that sheet where it was home with your parents, where we're trying, if you're thinking of it as a dear listener, if you're thinking of the pastor trying to transition or you're, as a congregation member trying to transition from uh, having the pastor do all the teaching to the parents' teaching, this could be a, a tool that you would transition that where you would say, here, go over this with your, your child and with the, in, with the intention and with the goal that the parent would, can, would grow into that role of being the teacher rather than being thrust at it where they're not quite sure.
2: I know of, of some congregations, and this is something that maybe larger congregations can, can do just because of extra staff, um, I know of some places where one person, uh, in the, the ones that I'm familiar with, the pastor teaches the students roughly half the lesson. And while that is happening, they had a staff minister that was teaching the parents of those students the entire lesson with the assumption, with the the assignment, that the second half of the student lesson that the pastor didn't cover, the parents would then teach to their children over the course of that week. And they they all got together. I think it was every week. It might have been every other week. Uh, but there are ways of, of kinda of kind of balancing this or or easing into it or or doing doing half of this, finding a way to, to not just say, okay, mom and dad, this is your job, and I'm gonna step back and watch you fail. No, 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 no. Let's find ways to I understand this is gonna be difficult for you. And you maybe think you can't do this. God would not have given you this child if you couldn't do it. God will give you what you need. And he has called me, he has called us in the church to help with that. So I'm going to give you as much as I possibly can. All the help, all the resources, all the support, all the encouragement, all the prayers. You're going to do it, but you're not going to do it alone. I'm going to be standing right there behind you helping you do this.
0: Right, which which would then, like I said, come come with that idea of, of, you know, they go home, they work on the worksheet, they come back. Mom and dad had a question about, I, we didn't understand. Let's talk about exactly. that. That's a great thing to talk yes, about. Or yes. or mom mom said this, and uh, she kind of got it. But, you know, let, you, know you can you back. And I see
2: why she said that. Yeah. And you, do you see why she said that? But, okay, yeah. let's look at what the Bible says. It's it's maybe 90% of that. It was just a couple degrees off. Right,
0: right. I, I could totally see where that would be a, 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 a huge stepping stone I mean you can't make wide sweeping changes but you could be a huge stepping stone towards we're going to work our way mm-hmm. down this this change in form because the function is we we want to make lifelong learners of the catechism we want to make lifelong learners of 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 God's grace we want to continue gathering um which is something we see like you said the cutoff confirmation they go on to high school you never see them again or very very rarely
1: uh, Rick, you were talking about the ideal congregation and ideal instruction, and having uh, a confirmation or uh, the confirmation rite be toned down and just part of you know, halfway through. So once the catechesis is finished, what what do you see? How the church can help with the ongoing catechesis of your teens and young adults?
2: That's 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 a good question that I'm not sure I've got a great answer to. But I think if we if we return the study of Scripture to the home, that already becomes a big part of the answer to that. If we we don't just teach our students the Bible and the stories and the doctrines, but maybe more than that, we teach them how to read the Bible and how to grow in their faith then that gives them the tools to continue to do this. I mean, it's give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish. Um, they've now got the tools to continue to do this. And because, well, we've given them the tools, we've also done it with them. We've also taught them the word and the stories and the doctrines. And so that has grown their faith and the spirit produces fruits. And the fruits of that faith is that they will want to continue to do that. And yeah, there'll be sin and it won't happen every time and it won't happen all the time. Um, But to me that's the that's the answer is teach them how to i get some kids coming to my high school classes that don't know how to read their bibles they may know the doctrine they may know some of many of the stories but they don't know how to read their bibles they don't know how to read it, and something as simple as as uh, Luther's famous four strands or four questions: uh, What is God trying to teach me in this in this account that I'm reading? What does this lead me to thank God for? What does this lead me to confess? And what does this lead me to pray for? Um, something as simple as that, every Christian can do, and you do that as you're reading through your Bible. And that is growth in faith daily.
1: Thank you. I remember I was trying to I model that with my confirmation kids and it doesn't always fit those four strands, doesn't always fit based on what you're reading. Right. But right. It's just the idea of these are the four things you should be thinking about. What does this actually say? Mm-hmm. Which is which is hard because they're taught they're surrounded by a culture of subjectivity where it's not what does this say to you, but what does this actually say? Yes. And then what does it say to you? Yes. Right, right. so that you don't miss what is actually being said instead of trying to impart your own meaning to it before you even look at what it says. Right.
0: And, and and I think the other thing that we, you know, part, and I'm not saying that those four strands aren't important, but I think one of the things that are missing in in the whole entire conversation is is we need to train our kids to do this so that they can train their parents to do this as they discuss. Is Where's Christ? Yes. Yes. You know, because we go through, you know, especially in the Old Testament, our kids learn the Old Testament stories. I hate that idea. By the way, I hate, they're accounts. Yeah. They're stories, not stories. Stories sounds fictional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're the Old Testament accounts. But as we go through the Old Testament accounts and we, we, we do these things, um, where's Christ? Where's Christ in this? Because he's there. He is there. He is there. He is, he is the Word. He is the Logos. He is. He is, all Scripture is focused on. Where is he? Well, you know, have that conversation with the kids and say, okay, you know, we 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 saw we saw David do something very no no with Bathsheba. Where's Jesus? <laughs> Good luck trying to talk with the kids on that one because they're going to say, well, he's not in there. His name wasn't there. Um.
2: But Jesus himself said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. And he said that before any of the Gospels or any of Paul's right. letters were written. So he was and talking about those Old Testament accounts. Yeah.
0: And and so David, who is, is you know, the father, uh, the grandfather, great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, and Bathsheba, who is great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Wait a second. God used a sinful thing to eventually bring about the greatest promise, Um so that means forgiven forgiveness is here, even in this how bad it is. um I mean, just teaching where Jesus is and 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 saying, where is Jesus in in the Old Testament New Testament uh, goes a long way because then it removes that idea of the law being predominant, and this is just what they did to no this is this is Christ, God's history leading to him working for you um
2: and it it that also helps one of the dangers of confirmation class especially when you're teaching it as part of a school day is it's just another class and there's information and there's and there is there's something to that but this is so much more than just information this is so much more than just stories even understanding that it's history this is so much more than just history this is Christ for you that's what we're talking about Jesus for you every day, every minute of this class. That's what we're talking about.
0: Right. And, and I think having that as the focus um, for, for,
2: well, that's the function, right? Yes. That's yep. the function. Yep. So, um, so let's make sure the form supports that. And if that means we need to do the form a little differently than what they did a hundred years ago, fantastic. And with that, we
0: bid you a farewell. Thank you very much, Pat.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.